to the Lord this morning. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. We love you more than the Broncos. We love you more than the Mounties. We love you more than the Blazers. Can you say that truthfully? How about Pittsburgh? Well, if you ever get away from that business, you'll, you'll look at it as pretty foolish. And uh, to think it occupied so much of my life for such a great length of time, it's hard to believe. The Bible said in the book of Matthew chapter 24 that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And what that means is self-will, just a desire to... Do your own thing. That it causes the heart to be cold toward God. You know, to to feel God and to be touched by God, you you have to you have to be tender to the things of God. Amen. Which means be tender to His Word, uh, be tender about worship, and uh, you never you never want to allow. Uh, just the things of this life and this world to affect you to the point to where you become hardened. Like I've told you this before, but our son Grant, one time we were going through a situation, a family trial that just a normal family has lots of family trials, but you get into the Parker family. Amen. If we ever read a book, it'd put people that read the book in trials. But uh, sometimes things happen, and uh, the Bible said offenses must come. They have to come. You can't live in this world and not get offended. It's been proven by the, the worst of hermits because it's if they spend too much time alone in a cave somewhere, they begin to argue with themselves. They begin to offend themselves. <laughs> it's way easier to be offended at someone else and pray through over it than to happen, let it happen to yourself. Praise God. Well, turn with me, if you will, this morning to the book of Judges. Again, I want to extend my gratitude for everyone that's out this morning. I, I know there's some folks vacationing and hunting and doing whatever people do. They, they get busy sometimes doing things. But we're here, aren't we? You know, the Bible said, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of time. It also states in the word of God that where two or three are gathered together in his house, 
there he is amongst them. And so you see, God knew about this service many thousands of years ago. And any other service that's going on in his name at this present time. He has the power to be omnipresent. It gets very deep when you start thinking about it. That God hears every prayer and he sees and feels every need of every human on earth. It's a great spectrum. He never is tired or weary or unapproachable. There are a few things you can do in your life to cut yourself off from God. But uh, they're very rank and, uh, and very rare. He came to die for mankind. The book of John is reading uh, late last night, early this morning. And it said that he, he knew. He knew what was in man before he came. And when I think sometimes of the darkest secrets of my heart and that God knows all about it, I can't think of anybody or anything I'd rather have as a close friend. I cannot name one time that I've went to God and asked for forgiveness where I did not feel it. Not once. And I've been married to the same woman for almost 40 years, and I can't say that about her. Now, I probably haven't asked for forgiveness as many times as I should. But even in the closest, and, and we were next-door neighbors before that. We've been either next-door neighbors or boyfriend girlfriend married since she was eight and I was nine years old. But there are still areas in our lives we don't share with each other. But there's no area in my life I don't share with God. And so I'm like other humans. There's just areas that I fall way short. I fall way short of the mark of where I should be. But in all, the Bible said a friend loveth at all times. And so a real friend, when you stab them in the back, they still love you. A quick example, I'll get to preaching here in a minute, but a quick example is when Peter was standing at a strange watch fire and they said, you're one of them. And he said, oh, no, I'm not. And he began to curse and he could see Jesus from where he was cursing him. And the Bible said he, they, they, they made eye contact. They, they, the Lord looked upon him. And, of course, he went away sorrowful and repented. But that's got to be one of the lowest moments of Peter's life. David, uh, in taking another man's wife, killing a man and stealing his wife, committing adultery, and uh, caused the death of his own child for his sin, and uh, the scripture someone pointed out to me the other day, I thought it was just, it just grabbed me. It said, David, follow the Lord in all matters except for the matter of Bathsheba. And so, you know, you think, man, what a great, and this was a king. This is a guy that was, a, it was said at the end of his life, a bloody man. He shed a lot of blood in his life. But he, he walked upright and served God uh, correctly 
the only thing against him really was the matter of Bathsheba. But even in that, the Lord was with him. And the Lord loved him through every step. And that's something. When you're at your very weakest, poorest performance, the Lord is there to support you. Now that's a good friend. Amen. Reading from Judges chapter 3 and verse 15, it said, But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. This time, uh, the children of Israel were under bondage. They were in slavery to the Moabites. And, um, and Eglon was the king of the Moabites. Verse 17 said, and he brought the present, or excuse me, verse 16, Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. That's about 18 inches, maybe 20. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present to Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. When he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, shh, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. Everybody say himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade. And the fat closed upon the blade so that it could not, he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, surely he covereth his feet. In the summer chamber. You can see he had a pattern of hanging out in this summer chamber, this parlor. And it was known by the people, it was known by his enemy, and known by the servants of the house. And they tarried, verse 25, till they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped to Syriath. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them. Now you find the man carrying the present and the dagger and the assassin has become a leader of the people that were previously in bondage. 
And he's telling them, now's our chance if we're ever going to get out of bondage. I killed the king. They're in turmoil. They're in confusion. We have to move fast. And he said unto them, follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. They took the bridges, the fords, the places where they crossed the rivers. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. That's quite deliverance, isn't it? And uh, I want to preach to you uh, today really the danger, the danger of isolation, danger of isolation. Let's pray and ask God to help us today and ask him to talk to our hearts. Would you do that? Be, be, tell the Lord, Lord, talk to me today. Help me. Let the word of the Lord get in my heart. Touch me. Let me feel, God, the message. Let me feel the spirit of the message. Let me get the spirit of the word of God, the passage that we're studying today. Let it get inside of us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can be seated. God bless you. It was a very careless death. Um, Someone sent a post. I thought it was interesting. And there was a great big billboard. And it said, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And someone had taken a graffiti paint can and painted under it. No, we won't. But humanity is like that. We, we have a tendency, uh, sometimes the very blatant weaknesses that we have to ignore and to camouflage, to cover up, to, to, to not pay any attention uh, to our weaknesses. And, um, and we can become careless. Here was a king, uh, Eglong by name, and uh, pretty much the story is self-explanatory. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that everything written in the Old Testament is written for our admonition. And just that word simple, it's written that we could admonish each other. You could study a story in the Bible and you can tell your friend, here, look at this. Think of what it means. It's, it's telling us a message. It's given us a, a clear sound of how to, con- how to operate and how to, to, to live our lives in a successful manner. And the problem that this king had, and, and it can happen with lots of people, that, that when you become secure, when you feel secure sometimes, um, is, is your most dangerous moments of life. In the same chapter that it said, everything written in the Old Testament was written for us, upon whom the ends of the world should come. So other people have gleaned throughout the years, but its main purpose is for us. So when you read an Old Testament story, there's a spirit there. And there's many applications. It's like a paradigm. It's, it's a paradigm. It's, it's like a crystal, you know, that has all these cut faces on it, and you look into it. You remember those kaleidoscopes that, that we used to have when we were kids? And those are great toys. I, I don't know why they don't still make them, but 
we'd turn them and they'd change all these shapes. That in itself has a, like a paradigm. It, it gives you different views of the room. And, 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 and when we talk about a paradigm, uh, it, it, these scriptures, you can look at them from one angle one day and come back and read the same passage another day and a totally different message you'll see was in there. The, the word of God is alive, the Bible says. It's alive. And it's never going to die. So it's fresh on a daily basis. It's very, very much like the priests in the Old Testament had to bake the bread fresh every day. It represented the word of God, and they couldn't even use day-old bread. It had to be fresh every day. And that's the way, you know, the word of God's that way. And you need to ingest it this way. You need to look at your Bibles, read your Bibles, and, 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 and get a different view, something fresh every day. And it's going to help you uh, be the best person you could possibly be. But this king got into this habit of, of you know, sometimes uh, even if you rise to the very top of, of your little societal circle and, 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 and you become a leader of some sort, uh, I like to think of governors um, and not like the governor of the state, but governors. The Bible talks a lot about governors. And, 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 and catch this. When the Bible talks about a governor, a governor is a person that in your society uh, governs people. And the reason why he governs people is not because he's the smartest, he's the best, he's the richest, and, and everybody listens to him or they're not going to get anything good. But a governor, a real governor, he... He helps people get along. He can sit in the seat of a magistrate, and possibly he's been a magistrate or a judge before being appointed or voted or however governors uh, in, in the part of the world you live in, which here they're, they're of course, voted in. But, a, a, you know, I'm not talking on the, the level of the state governor, but it is his job to do what I'm talking about. But let's just say in our town, the mayor is really not the governor, but he is there in that position to help all the city officials get along. You ever thought of that? Yeah, you hear us talk about preaching and pastoring a church, preaching being like 5% of pastoring a church. And, and, and it might be, but it's a very small part. Probably less than that. But really, what a, when the Bible talks about, they call us elders, and it calls us, overseers. You ever notice that word in the Bible? It's used from way before they had pastors. But pastor is another word that means it's synonymous with elder. It's synonymous with overseer. That there are men and, and women, but there are predominantly men that have become governors or they become overseers over groups of people. Well, you remember Moses when he was just so overwrought you were preaching about the other night, Brother Joshua, so overwrought that, that he went to God under stress, and God says, okay, pick out 70 elders. Pick out 70 men you can trust. And they broke it down into a government. Those are all governors. Governors are men that take the government, and with the government, they help people get along. And, and we have a tendency sometimes in our, in our naivety to, to look at a governor a policeman is a governor. He's a hired servant of 
with our tax money to help people get along. Somebody's driving too fast, you know, we don't want you running over little kids, or there's a, a dispute in the house and they come in and there are all these different levels of governors, people that govern, and what they're governing is with the government and laws and rules that we have all voted in collectively. And, and, and just because your side didn't win and, and your yes or no vote didn't turn out to be the winning vote, you have already agreed before you place your vote to live by whatever vote does win. That's why it doesn't say curse the president if you don't like him. <laughs> Or curse, it's okay to curse the mayor if you don't like what he does. Just get your pencil out and go vote next time. But the point is, by a society, it's, it's kind of, you, know, you don't understand what colonial society is, most of you do, that we live in colonies. Legrand is like a colony. It's like a, a little town, you know. And we have city government. It's crazy for people to want to live in the city and gripe about the rules. Come on, think about what I'm telling you. And so, well, I'll go live in the country. Well, the country and the state, it has rules too. They're, they're more lenient. You can raise pigs out where I live. You can't in town. But some people just like a lot of neighbors. They feel safer with lots of people around them, right? You ever stop to think why you live in a town and you don't live off by yourself? Think about it. It's because your nature is to colonize. It's in your nature to be around people. God made you to be friendly. Come on, crack a smile this morning. He made you to want to be around other people. He made you to want to make friends with people. Hey, what's going on? What's your name? Yeah. He made you that there's something inside of you that, 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 that drives you to get along. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning. I see I'm on touchy ground. I'm on thin ice already today. All right, it's not a history lesson. <laughs> I guess it is. But what can happen when you rise to the top in this situation, Eglon got it in his head. He didn't have to worry about anything. He was totally protected. He had servants, guards, all these people. But what he did is he started, he got this little room built, and, and he called it his summer parlor, and he got to going out there and got him a favorite chair, Brother Nate, and... You know, keep the kids over on that side of the house. I know they're my kids, and I'll see them at dinner and breakfast, but keep them out of my summer parlor. And then pretty soon it was, yeah, the wives don't have any business out here either. This is a man's place. This is my, what do they call it, a man cave today? We have tendencies to, to have these little places of privacy. And usually we go there when we get mad at someone else. And we get to those little private places. And you sound like Brutus when he gets mad when Popeye wins. And you're grumbling and, and complaining. But as soon as you want to be social, you want to step outside the parlor and everybody, hey, what's happening? Come have a glass of iced tea. We got a roast duck over here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But Eglon got to the point to where he, he, he got intolerant of people. 
he got intolerant. And, and he had this little place that he got, and, and he used it so often that it became a pattern. And the Bible talks about the book of Titus, young men, young women, even older men, patterns. It even uses the word pattern with young men. It said young men that, that set a pattern of good works. That your lifestyle, what you do, how you get up in the morning, how you approach your job, how you approach other people, how you pay your bills, how you treat other people, that's a pattern of good works. And, and if you're not careful, um, by the time you get 50 or 60, no one can do it quite like you. Nobody comes up to your standards and, and your friends, uh, the amount of friends that you have, personal friends and close friends, dwindle. Because when people come around you, you become intolerant. Well, I must be in deep today. I'm, I'm rolling. I feel great. But you, you become intolerant, and your number of friends in your circle shrinks, and you get grumpy and unapproachable. And the Bible says about an elder, the first thing he must be is faithful. One of the second or third things it says about him, he must be easily entreated. Meaning it's easy to go talk to him. You knock on his door, come in. And you've got something on your mind. He may be busy studying, doing things, correcting, doing things. And, but he's got time to hear what you've got to say. And, and, and then, you know, there's lots of different reactions that you receive. But that's all part of getting along. How many likes peace in their home? And as long as everybody does what you say, there's peace there, right? That wasn't fair, but it was honest. As long as everything's going my way, I'm good. Sister Limits, she's always, I've known her a long time, and she's feisty. And I like that feisty because, you know, I would rather have a feisty one to try to control than one I'm trying to always wake up. As a governor, as a pastor, as an elder, whatever, whatever's comfortable with you. But I'm just saying, I would rather have to, I'd, have, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all, okay? That's what I'm saying. I, I'd rather have you get a little too far out and go, hey, 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 calm down there. Then to, hey, are you awake today? Are you alive today? Somebody say, praise the Lord. And Eglon got, either he got tired of his position he got too secure in his position, but he, he, he made the same mistakes over and over enough to where it cost him his life. That one stout young man walked in and said, hey, I got a secret errand for you, man. And, and I already gave him the gift from the people. And these are the slaves giving the king a gift, see. It somehow he, something clicked in his head like ding, 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 ding. There's something wrong here when the slaves are giving you a gift. The Israelites were the slaves, the Moabites were the, were the rulers, and, and here the Israelites get together this big gift, and they send it by this Eglon guy. And he just happens to be about, you know, 6'6 six, six and 240. <laughs> and he's got a 20-inch knife hidden on his thigh. Pretty good-sized boy. And, and he goes, hey, I got a special errand for you, you know, like secret. He did say secret. And the old king's like, he's so flattered by the gift, you know, the old warning, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, so, you know. 
somebody gives you something, don't say, how old is it? And so he's, he's enamored by the gift, and you're warned in the book of Proverbs not to be enamored by gifts. Because something's, you know, the government, we say, <laughs> they give you something, their other hand, they want something back. We've learned that, dealing with people, and, and that's exactly what Ehud wanted. And, and, and Ehud, and man, the old king just fell for us. Oh, come back here. I got a room back here. You don't see Ehud going, oh, yeah, I know all about it. No, he, oh, really? Oh, you got a private little area back here. And, and he locks the doors, right? We know that because when they came to check on him, they had to go get a key. So he's locked in there behind those locked doors at a place where he normally goes. And this guy just pulls that dagger out and jams it so far up in his stomach that the handle and everything went in. He couldn't get it out and left him laying there on the floor, went out, relocked the doors, got the cures, whatever he had to do to you, relocked the doors, left everything as it was and just slipped on out the palace and and uh, the servant's standing around, well, he'll order some tea here in a half hour or so. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he'll want a glass of wine or something. And it said they tarried until they were embarrassed. Way too long. It's way past his habits of how long he's in there. And they find a key and they open it and there he is dead. And, and, and what this lesson today is about is if you, you get in a habit of going off by yourself... You can easily be slain by the enemy when you're singled out. You remember the Bible says, I think it's the next, it said, remember Amalek. We all know the story where Saul was told by the man of God, Samuel, go destroy the Amalekites and kill every one. Don't leave one alive. And kill all of them. Men, women, children, animals, dogs, cats, birds, everything. And, and, and Saul went. And he brought back the choices of the oxen, the choices of the lambs. And, uh, and he brought back the, 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 the king, Agag. And so we know there were, there were people he, he didn't destroy. He didn't do what the Lord told him to do. And so in the end, uh, the man that cut Saul's head off in battle and brought it to David tells David, I am an Amalekite. The very thing that he didn't obey God completely in and destroy came back and got him. And so you, there are just these, these patterns in the Bible that, that you are, you're never so secure that you can handle it by yourself or you can adjust the decisions or adjust the pattern that God gives us. Somebody say amen. 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 You know, it's like no one likes the police. Anybody here like police? My sister B does because her husband's been one at a time. But come on. You ever hear anybody walk up and say, I like the police. But in Romans 13, it talks about um, obeying um, the officers, obey basically those that rule. And it said they bear not the sword in vain. They're not packing that gun on their side for a joke. They are trained to use it, and they're in situations when they need to use it. But 
here's what you have. You have people that say, I, you know, I don't want the police around. And there are some people, I've always been the kind of guy that kind of been able to skin my own cats. I, I don't call the police for help. But, you know, they're, the majority of society, if somebody steals their car or somebody steals something they have, they call the police. Because we don't want our car stolen. Or someone breaks into our house, and I've done it. But suddenly, those that can't, wouldn't have a policeman at their house, that's the first thing they want to see. Or somebody breaks into their house in the middle of the night, they're grabbing a phone dialing 911. What are they doing? Calling the police. What are they doing? Calling the governor. Because it's safety. It's, I need help. I need, you know, I need some response here. I like the one about the old guy that uh, he calls and says, somebody burglarized in my shop outside. And they said, well, it'll be 15 minutes before we can get an officer there. So he hangs up and he calls back. He said, uh, we need the coroner here. And they said, what? He said, I just shot two of them. and said they were there in 15 seconds or a minute and a half or something. And he said, I thought you said you shot him. He goes, well, I did, but I didn't get any response from you. When, or I thought you said you were getting burglarized. And they caught the burglars in the place. He said, I thought you said you shot him. He goes, no, I didn't, but I didn't get a response when I said I was being burglarized. And, and so we want help, and we want it now. And when you get in physical danger, you want help. That's what you pay your taxes for. And somebody, you know, with a situation out at our place, six or eight neighbors up the road, and we've got a new neighbor that moved in. We had a line of trees that's been there for, man, probably 100 years, a property line. And, and everybody just, uh, previous owners just always honored that tree line as the property line. New owners came in, had the whole thing resurveyed, and it canted the line just a little bit. It's the same company that had set the previous line, sets a new line. And, and so it brings a few trees onto their property, and it takes land off of their property where they had already cut the trees. And so they, they start marking trees and getting their saws out and start cutting. And our neighbors, you know, you think the Bible said don't remove an ancient landmark. Don't change an old landmark. And it isn't because now we have more technical equipment. The guy came to my house and owns the, the surveying company. And, and he sits down with me with all the maps. And, and I look at him and I go, you're not going to get any trouble out of me. I'm not going to argue with my neighbor over a few trees. I'm not going to get in a fuss with them over changing a line. I said, if I went after anybody, I'd go after you because you made the old line. I have this map here that says this is my property. I've lived this way. It's been this way for this long. And I'm looking at him, and he's going, yeah, I know. I know, I know, I know. And I said, it's not worth the trouble with my neighbors. And he goes, yeah, but you have so many feet on the next neighbor. I go, and that brings a whole new problem in. I've lived with his driveway being where it's at, and now I find out I own part of his driveway. So I'm going to go over there and say, okay, I'm putting a fence right down this edge of this driveway. I've made it for 20-something years thinking it was his. I find out it's mine. What are you going to do? Nothing. Why? Because it's my neighbor. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a saying that goes that says, good fences make good neighbors. Well, I hope not. I hope that's not the way you think. Because our law book says, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat your neighbor. The golden rule is treat other people the way you would be treated. Not by what you can 
not some loophole in a law somewhere that somebody put on the books, but suddenly because we are in this colony together, that's what a good citizen is all about. A good neighbor is all about is, is giving. And then when somebody does something to offend you, don't react to it. Don't get offended. They, they come to cut right down behind my house trees that I kind of built my house by, you know. I like the looks of them and everything. And I just said one thing to the logger. I just said, you know, I, I don't know. You might better check, but I said, I don't think you're supposed to cut trees this close to a creek. <laughs> to a running stream. And he's looking at it and he's going, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. And then one of the hired hands that's working over there tells me about a month later, said, boy, you sure put a stop to the whole operation. I go, what? He said, man, they, uh, the Umatilla tribes come out and two or three other departments came out. I had, no, I had no business. I said, I didn't call anybody. But somebody called, you know, just to check, and here comes the government. And they said, don't you dare cut another tree by this water, this creek here. And don't you dare, oh, man, what you've already done. This is all bad. And start telling them all the fines they could suffer. And they're going, ah. And fortunately, I was out of it. All I said was to the logger, I'm not sure, you're, you know, I logged. You're not supposed to cut a tree within 100 feet of a running creek. They hadn't even thought about that. They were worried about the line. They went right down the middle of the creek. I go, do what you want to, but you know what? I'd be careful if I was you. <laughs> you can go to jail for that. And, and, and so you learn. You, you learn to try to get along and work. You need each other. I need them. I need my neighbors. I need you. You need me. And so you get, you get to a place where, and here's what happens. The Bible says in the book of Mark, well, it says, Many places, offenses, I've already mentioned it this morning, offenses must come. All right, there's no way you're going to ever stop from getting offended by people, your neighbors, your friends at church, the people you sing with on the platform, or the, who's playing the music, or who's running the sound system, especially those guys up there. <laughs> See, Brother Angela, told you so, you're going to get it. Um, and that's the biggest thing anywhere. I mean, I got to the meeting in Spokane the other day. You know, I'm, you know, I know the speakers, and I'm sitting with them, and they look at me and they go, "Oh man, they're killing us," you know. And I hear that everywhere I go, you know. And I say, "Well, my advice is to brag on them, just like when you go up to the McDonald's drive-through." Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Please. Oh, thank you. Well, we got your hamburger wrong. Thank you. My wife gets up there and she's like, no, I share. I go, don't do that. Don't do that. Say thank you. Say please. Say please and thank you. She was telling someone yesterday, my husband, I can't believe how he does it. He, say please. Say please. You order for me. You say please. Uh, you know, I'll say, how's your day going? Bad? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's see if we can, uh, let's do this order, you know. Please. Thank you. Because here's what I do. How many knows I've been going to McDonald's on Sunday morning for 25 years? All right, I've taken my kids and now my grandkids. And, and I go in there, and, and, and I don't like cheese on my sausage muffins, so I would say I like two sausage muffins without cheese and well-done sausage. This has been going on for 25 years. All right, this is not a huge town. 
And I do it two or three other mornings of the week. Two sausage McMuffins. And I, I, I take one of the sausages off and put it with the other one so I got a double. I don't even try to order a double. I just say two. I'll rebuild it in my car. All I want is a little ketchup and pepper to put on it, you know. But they get it wrong and say it back wrong to me. And I'd say no. And after about the third time, sometimes I get frustrated. I said, I said, and I would say it really clear and distinct. And I would get a sausage, egg, cheese, McMuffin, not hardly even cooked, and stuff I didn't even know McDonald's made in my bag when they handed it to me. And so I get down to the church. I had to pray through over my breakfast. All right? Someone said, yeah, I called down there and tell them. I go, yeah, I tried that too. Then the next five times I came through, there's allowed to be anything on that muffin. I promise, you just try this. I promise you, you go through and get smart with them and see if your order comes out right. Just say one smart thing. Because they got the power on you in there. I mean, they, that's their power. It ain't, you know, they don't like wire their McDonald's suit down to the McDonald's. And if you work there, don't get offended at me, but I told you offenses must come. Well, you don't see them go, oh, I work for McDonald's and I'm on my way to work. So, but it's like, kind of like I used to say about the Forest Service when I worked up there all the time. Uh, their salaries aren't real great. And some of the loggers made 10 times and some of them probably 100 times what the Forest Service workers made. And they love to come up on a site and go, we're shutting this down. You know, it's a $10,000 a day, $20,000 a day operation. And they're making maybe 100 bucks a day. And, and, and they're jealous of the loggers. And, and, the, and the logger owners, the guys, right, Brother Greg? How many times have you ever seen one of them come out there and say, ah, can't do that? No, he cut the wrong tree over here. We're shutting this operation down. And two or three days before you get it going again. You can't imagine with 30, 40 guys working in the woods what that costs the owner. But they love to exert that little authority and that little bit of power where they can. All right? You can just go ahead and fight with them if you want to, and, and you'll pay the bill. Or you can say, you know what? I've always wanted to work for the Forest Service. I, I'm, I'm jealous of your job. I get greasy every day, you know. And let me put it in plain oaky terms, kiss their booty. That's part of getting along. It can't always go your way. You cannot always have things your way. And if you think you do, you're going to be Eglon in the parlor. You're going to be the old hermit up in the hills sitting in a cabin because nobody can do it just like you. And you have no friends. Comes time to have Christmas or, or Thanksgiving or, or family get-togethers. And it's just you and her. And you say, well, we might as well go to Denny's. And hopefully they can get the turkey and the gravy on the right plate. All right, you see people in there all by themselves all the time, and they're griping and moaning over the way the coffee tastes. You don't like Denny's coffee? Go to Starbucks and buy the best and get you a grinder and make your own and sit at your house by yourself and drink your coffee. But see, the reason why you go down there is not really for how great their coffee is. You want to be around people. You want to be around other humans. There's something inside of you that says, I need company. I need friends. I need friends. And it's so Christian. It's Christian to make friends and keep them.
But you cannot make friends and keep them unless you don't prefer the other person often, more often than you can't prefer yourself. You have to prefer the other person. You have to cut slack to other people. Or you're going to be by yourself. You're going to die a lonesome old woman or a lonesome old man in a, in a closed room somewhere by yourself, mad at the world. Why? Because you couldn't handle an offense. The Bible said, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Come on. Offenses must come, Brother Matthias, but nothing's going to offend you. They're coming. To, they'll come today. They'll come tomorrow. They'll come next week. Somebody's going to say something smart, girls. Some girl's going to look at you like, you get a new dress, and you're wearing it. It looks good on you, and they're going to look at you like, like they're about to vomit. All right? That makes them feel like they look a little better. They may have a bad hair day going, and I've watched girls all my life. I mean, I... There's way more girls in my house than guys. And, and, and so I've, I've studied them. <laughs> All right? And the guys are peacocks and man, bad dudes. And somebody just says a little wrong thing, and pretty soon you go to the next guy and say, I don't like him. He's a troublemaker, and he's a smart aleck, and he's this and he's that. And it's confusion, and it's offenses. And, and, and the more you do that, the more isolated you're going to become. You have to be tolerant. You can't be a leader of any kind without tolerance. Tolerance is a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Being able to bend but not break. Be tolerant. Why? You're going to be a happy human. The more intolerant you get, the more unhappy you're going to live. It gets, to, it gets to be very personal. I see people, uh, it, it, they, they isolate themselves, and, and, and I hear complaints, you know. I've had people walk in my office and complain about other people, and I thought, that person just last week complained about you, about the same thing. I could not tell them that. But I just heard the very same complaint about them from somebody else. It could have even been the person they were complaining about. And so I'm thinking, now how do, I, how do I convince them that that's really a nice person? When I already know, you know, God knows all this stuff. But we find out a few things as leaders. I already know, he's already said, I don't like Angelo. Now Angelo's coming, I don't like this kid. And I want to make him look good in his eyes. He's already told me I don't like him. But this isn't true. I've made this up. It's circumstantial evidence. It may be true. <laughs> But you understand the position the governor's put in to try and convince somebody, you know what? That's no way to live. It's like my father told me when I was 25 years old, 23 years old. He was about 48. He said, Jess, you can live your whole life. You can spend 40 years of your life trying to prove to everybody you're the meanest and you're the toughest. He said, then you'll spend the rest of your life trying to prove you're not. And he said, that's no way to live. You're way better, way better just to become tolerant of other people and encourage other people to do better. You know what I found? That's a payday. Sing, sing. 
It is. You just change your attitude a little bit. You know, I, I tease Grant all the time. In the tree business, the other boys, they'll go out and bid a job. They say it's my gray hair. But I just laugh at them. I said, you guys should pay me 20% and, and me not do any work. Nate knows this because he's worked out there. You pay me 20% of every job just to go sell the work for you. And I've proven to him time and time again, just me talking to him, I'm going to get 25% to 30 40% more money for the same job by the way I approach him and talk to him and close the deal with the same amount of work. And they just look at me like, that ain't fair. But they let people Jew them down. They let people, you know, this is a young kid. I can get him, you know. So they see you walking up to give the bid. You already lost two or 300 bucks. By the way, you walked up and knocked on the door. You, you gave away 15% by the way you said hello. You know? And my dad, I, I used to go in, I was a little bitty kid. And, and walk right beside him and watch him sell those jobs and talk to those people. And, and I thought, this guy, he knows what's going on. And he'd tell me, I don't do this. I'm going to tell you flat out, I don't do this. But he taught me this way. He said, when you pull in the driveway, you look around at the house. You look around at the cars they're driving. You look how they're dressed when they come out of the door. And you think to yourself, this is how much money I can get for this job. And the nicer and sharper they look and the better, the better their house and the more money they spend, you just keep in your mind jacking your price up. Now, I'm just here to tell you, folks, that's business. All right? And so, you know, right now, we're probably three months behind the boys are in work. And, and they said, why don't you just raise the prices? I said, because the first I had a businessman I've been working with, teaching Bible studies and things too. You just got to raise your prices until it levels off. I go, no, I can't do that because I pastor a church in this town. And I am not going to have them going around saying, that dude, he, he stuck it to me. Right? It didn't matter, like, if I get $1,000 for a job or if I get $1,500 for it. Lots of jobs I could do that. It isn't a matter what I can get out of people. It's being fair. I would way rather have people call me every day. My wife is telling me, yes, I said, i got so much stuff, to calls and work to do. I don't even want to look at a telephone. And I haven't answered a tree call in 10 days or so. I went out like one day about eight days ago and, and, and sold a couple more weeks worth of work. And, and I don't have a hope of getting it done. But the point is, is what I'm saying is I'd much rather it be that way and people have to chase me down than to say, that guy's ripping people off. Because, see, this is the colony I live in. I not only pastor a church here, I eat at their restaurants. I don't want to walk in the restaurant and go, that dude stuck it to me on a tree job. Burn that steak, guys. Get that old one out. Get the old one out back there and throw that one on the grill for him. We'll show him. No, I'd much rather say, you know what, this guy's a nice man. Get the best you got back there. We want his business. All right, now I'm applying this to our spiritual life. That is, that's how people live. Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. You can't have fussing and offenses in a house, especially like the house of God, but even anywhere in business. Uh, you know, it's like they haven't had a budget in years. I don't know, they haven't passed a budget. It, it, and it becomes the talk of the nation. 
I don't know about you, but I'm one of these kind of people. I don't want people blaspheming me every day. I'd rather drive a little smaller car, eat a little smaller piece of meat or whatever. Whatever it takes to live with the people that I live with. My pastor told me, I mean, a long time ago, he said, yes, you can never live too far above your people. You may have a bunch of poor people come to your church someday, but you still can't live. You can't be living extravagant. You can't be wearing extravagant clothes. You can't be doing all this stuff. And I'm looking and listening to him because he's the smartest guy I ever knew. And I looked at him and looked at his little common house. Had lots of nice antiques in it. He did things for my aunt, but he lived extremely um, moderate for the kind of person and man he was and the kind of leader he was. And, and you know what? When I see that in, in a president or I see that in a man that runs a business and he's moderate and conservative, I think that's where I want to do business. And he, he cares about me. You, you get an employer who might have 100 employees that he cares about. He knows every one of his employees. That's the guy I want to work for. Not one that scorns them. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying in the house of God, in your walk with God, and where you walk, this colony is a great colony, the church. And the more you move around a little bit and the more you travel a little bit and find out, it's a great, big, huge worldwide family. All right? We're asking prayer this morning for a man in North Carolina and people in Hawaii and all over the world. And, and it's connected, inter, interconnected like this. And the more people you treat right and associate with, the greater life you're going to have. You want to have a great life? Have lots of friends. Get those little things out of the corners of your heart. Out. Because the Lord, when he comes knocking, you see, if you're, how are you going to respond to God if you don't respond to your neighbor's? You don't respond to the people at work. You don't reach out to the people at work. How are you going to reach out for someone that's lost, that's never had an experience in Christ? How are you going to touch somebody if you're living in a little hovel somewhere, thinking of everything that could go wrong and why somebody looked at you a certain way? You know, you just you got to pray through that stuff. You got you got to get on top, and 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 get the tolerance working in your life. The greatest sword makers in the world make swords. The Wilkinson Company and different ones. Sheffield, one of the finest swords made in the world. They make a sword and they temper it. The way you temper a sword, the way you temper steel is you you heat it in a forge, and then you take it out and you take a wet rag with water on it. And you hold that sword when it's red hot in one hand. And you take that wet rag and you stroke it down the side of that sword blade. You turn it over and you do the other side. When you throw it on a sword blade, if it's straight, on one side that sword will go just like that. Because it cools one side of the sword and it pulls that metal together. And then the guy's just looking at it and he'll do it on the other side and then it pulls it back this way. And they'll sit there and they, you have to do it. You know, just a, a good hunting knife, a puma knife made in Germany. The steel's made in Germany. It's tempered 26 times. 
guarantee comes with a little book that comes with it, and you read it, that 26 times they've heated it and cooled it off to get the temper in the steel at the correct hardness. If it's too hard, when you hit a bone, it'll chip the blade. If it's too soft, as soon as you cut the hair, it'll dull it. So the art to making a great knife, a great piece of steel, is in the tempering, how it's tempered. A rasp or, or an axe or any cutting tool that's made, even chainsaw chains. You know, Brother Wayne grinds some. He's grounding for me. If, if you pull down on that, that grinder too hard on a tooth and it gets too red, you'll take the temper right out of that seal. Even when you're sharpening one with a file, you can only hit it so hard because it can only take so much correction at a time. Those swords will bend all the way around. The great ones will and touch because they're that flexible. When they turn them loose, they come back to perfect straight. If they're too hard, they won't come back to perfect straight. If they're too soft, they, they, they won't hold. They, won't, they, become not, they they're not strong enough to fight with. And when the Bible talks about temperance, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about you be tempered. What tempers you? People. One makes me hot and another one cools me off. And they make me hot and I go to the prayer room or I get alone. I, I can't just say, okay, I marked that person out of my life. There's way too much of that goes on amongst us. They offended me to the point, okay, I ain't never going to talk to them again. Someone got mad at me the other day and said, you ain't going to ever see my face again. And I saw him the very next day. I was relieved. All right? But it, people get mad and they lose their tempers and they say stuff, they lose their temper. And they say stuff they don't even mean. Trying to hurt someone else's feelings. I'm offended, so I'll offend you. And pretty soon you're isolated. And isolation is a place of death. Let's stand this morning. Matthew chapter 12, it, it tells us we're destined to become a gatherer. Listen close to what I'm telling in closing. Or a scatterer. Where he said a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's exactly what he's saying. He said, you're either going to gather with me or you're going to scatter abroad. There's no middle ground in this people thing. No middle ground. No riding the fence. You can't say I'm neutral with people. And, and, and usually when people say that, what they're saying is, I'm an exclusionist. When they say I'm neutral, what they're saying, if people can't see it my way, I don't need their friendship. But Jesus said, it's the harvesters, that, the, the, the very prayer request of God says, send forth harvesters, send forth laborers to the field. The fields are already white with harvest. All right? The weakness and the lack that we have today Where we lack is people that will say, hey, we had a problem, let's forget it. I used to preach about this guy around the country. It was quite a while before I ever did it in front of him. There was a time I was so mad at Milton. James was like three or four years old. 
And you know about this, don't you? And he wasn't working. And I'm driving from my house out there on Hunter Road into the church. And here's what I said about this man. I said, that guy makes me mad. I said, he won't work. He gets in trouble. Shake hands with him today and, and ask yourself, do you think he works? You get a hold of his hand. It's thick, it's strong, and it's calloused. Okay? But there was a day. I was mad at you, Milton, about 25 years ago. I don't know, 20 years ago. And I'm telling my four-year-old son all about it. He don't know. He's just listening to me complain. I, and I said, that guy makes me so mad. I'm, I'll tell you what, I wish, he'd, I wish he'd get a job. I wish he'd straighten up. Can you believe I was mad at your dad like that? You don't see that part of your daddy, do you? And James looks up at me and he goes, Dad. I go, what? He goes, why don't you get a job? I told him, I said, I got a job. I pastor a church and I'm this and that. And he goes, no, a real job. Like, what are you picking on Milton for? I don't think he even knew what I was talking about. But he, like, you ain't got any right to talk about people. You don't work either. And out of the mouths of babes, you know, their perception, what they see, I'm as this guy that talks about people and stuff, you know. But preaching and, 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 and counseling, suddenly he's, he's a man that becomes a man that says, well, I didn't really want to live this way anyway. And, and, and I say, you need to get a job, you need to do this. You know, I calm down, I tell him, here's what you need to do. And to my surprise... He went and he did what I told him to do. And he's been doing it for over 20 years. And he's raised his kids and taught them to work. He's brought so many other families in his home and taught them to work. And he's become a leader amongst us. All right? A respected man of God amongst us. How's that happen? It happens by listening to your leaders, Brother Milton, and trying what they tell you. And, and they tell you, look, make an adjustment here. Don't be intolerant. Don't, don't, don't think you know everything. And open up the deep parts of your heart and get some forgiveness. Get God down on the inside of you. Every time you get mad or angry with somebody, just get the mirror out and look at it. And you start, that's what prayer does. It helps us look at ourselves instead of someone else. And it changes your perspective so fast. And then suddenly it makes a man, I was the same way. That BC, before Christ, I used people to obtain what I wanted. You think there wasn't a great change in me? When I gave my life, turned my life over to God and started trying to do the work of the Lord, Suddenly, I'm not, I'm not looking at somebody thinking, now, what can I get out of this girl? How can she make my life better? How can I get money from her? How can I get some, whatever it may be. But I look at them and I think, now, how can I help this girl? You know, they look at me like, he talked to you? I know how teenage girls are. If I say, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute, come here. They're thinking, oh, my God, their stomach's tied in a knot and they're... I know how they feel. I've been there. I was, you know, I was a kid too at one time. I, and my uncle was the pastor still. If he got me, I'm like, oh God. You know, I tried to put it on my face, but inside I'm thinking, I'm gonna get killed, you know. Because all the things I had done, I thought he knew every one of them suddenly. All right? 
but you start looking at people a different way. You don't think, I got to get ahead of them. I, gotta, I can't let them get ahead of me. I got to stay ahead of them. But you start saying, hey, I can help them become a better person. That's the turnover that happens to you when you really get what God's got for you. He, he makes you, when you search your own heart, he makes you a helper and a friendly person. Can we love the Lord together this morning? Amen. Let's love God as she sings. One day I let the Savior in. If you would like to come and pray today, I invite you to come to an altar. One day he saw that door. You feel like there's some changes you need to make on the inside. I knew the day Maybe some attitude changes about other people. You say, hey, I, I can't get forgiveness from the Lord until I forgive others.
day he saw that door, I knew the day had come too soon. I said, Jesus, I'm not ready for us to visit in that room. act of friendship ever was when you died for us. Amen. No greater friend. No greater love. We're thankful for that, Lord. We want you to help us not to live unto ourselves, but to live unto you that died for us. Help us, God, to learn to be tolerant and loving and work with people. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. You're dismissed. There's a place in my heart. Oh, uh-huh.